globally, I believe that um, global commons are a way for us to unite together um, as, as, a, uh, as a global force and be able to work together to preserve the environment. Welcome to the Common Ground podcast, where we bring together under our podcast roof change makers from both the social and environmental spaces, people who've made extraordinary achievements in the areas they're passionate about. Each episode, we bring you insight from a new activist as we talk to them about their stories and the causes that spurred them to take action. I'm thrilled to be bringing you season two in collaboration with Arctic Angels, a global youth-led network fighting for the protection of the global commons and in particular raising awareness of the polar ice crisis. My guest on the Common Ground podcast this week is Divya Nawale from India. Divya was 22 when she was chosen as a young environmental leader to go on an expedition to Antarctica with the 2041 Foundation led by Robert Swan and Since then, she's engaged in over 50 different projects, working on a variety of environmental change issues, sustainability issues, issues about renewable energy. So I was really excited to speak to her about how the opportunity to visit the Antarctic really changed her life. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Divya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So excited to be here. We're really, really thrilled to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you've been up to up until this point. Big question. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, um, it's an ex- it's been a very um, enlightening journey, to say the least. Um, so I started out to be a uh, mechanical engineer in India. Uh, but then upon graduation, um, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, that was about the time when uh, the climate movement was gaining a bit of momentum um, in uh, India. I think the organizations that were very popular at that time was 350.org, um, Earth Hour was getting very popular. And so a number of um, initiatives were being launched. And um, I think I started off as more of an activist back then um, in 2009. And during that time frame, I, um, I discovered um, this uh, particular expedition to Antarctica uh, organized by the 2041 Foundation. Um, at that point, I had not done anything to really be, you know, considered like an environmentalist or really even an activist. Um, but when I learned about the expedition and I applied to it, what they told me was that uh, an Indian girl had never been on their expeditions before and that they would love to take me. But I had to build a little bit more on my profile. And also they guided me towards it. Um, so this was my first time meeting Robert Swan. Um, who's the first person in the world to walk to both the North Pole and South Pole. And he's a a very um, well-known environmentalist and um, he's worked uh, more than 30 years um, in uh, trying to uh, raise awareness about Antarctica, preservation of Antarctica and things like that. And um, so uh, I had the opportunity to uh, apply for the expedition and go on it. Um, It was 2009, November, when I finally made it um, to Antarctica the first time, and that really changed my life. So coming back from that, I worked um, in like uh, around the world, really. I worked in um, 
India, I worked in Europe, I worked in uh, North America. Um, and so across three continents, I really worked on uh, projects related to environmental sustainability um, and slowly then moved towards the policy space. Uh, but more than anything else, I continue to work for the 2041 Foundation. Most recently on their last expedition to Antarctica, I served as one of the directors. And um, so really it became a full circle where I went as a participant and then got the opportunity to then go back as uh, one of the people who was able to support the expedition. Through that opportunity, I also engaged in both the uh, polar regions in general. So I've also been to uh, the Arctic Circle Assembly um, as one of the youth fellows. Um, and I gave a presentation there about sustainability in the Arctic. And um, I think through that process, I've also gained knowledge about um, the Arctic region, and uh, that's how the whole Arctic uh, Angels piece fit into uh, what I'm doing. Um, but in general, like my focus area remains uh, clean energy and energy efficiency policy for my day-to-day -day job, because I feel that uh, people in India are uh, not really aware of what happens outside India, and, and that uh, being the largest growing youth population in the world, they need to be made aware of what their future is. So that's just really about me and what I'm passionate about. Oh, it's such an incredible story. And it also shows how the experience, your, your trip to the Antarctic really sort of changed the course of your life. But what I really want to understand is, you know, back in 2009, how well talked about and known was the climate crisis? I know that you talked about the sort of the growth of those um, initiatives at the 350 and, and the Earth Hour. Mm -hmm. Was mm -hmm. the, Were the effects of the climate crisis sort of being felt and acknowledged and as a consequence that's why those initiatives were growing or was there a kind of was the what was the reasoning behind right. it mm -hmm. yeah I think uh, uh, one of the interesting things that happened in 2009 was the Copenhagen summit um, at that point I think it was the most highly criticized uh, conference uh, and uh, like a lot of people were talking about climate change already at that point, but not like on a household level. We knew it as more of a political issue and not something that we, we, we would take to the streets at that point. And um, I think um, when I went to the Antarctic, uh, really, that was the first time I heard a number of terms, including something called as carbon footprint. It was mind blowing. Um, similarly, over the last 10, 10 years, especially since the Copenhagen summit, of course, midway through, we had the Paris Agreement in 2015, which was a massive step in the right direction. However, it, it was not enough. And uh, even till today, it's really not clear how the Paris Agreement works. Um, a lot of the frameworks and uh, kind of uh, uh, monitoring uh, uh, methods have not been put into place. And, um, and I think that's why the COP26 that comes up in Glasgow is going to be really important um, this year. Um, I think there's so much happened in the last 10 years that it really inspires me. Earlier, to be an environmentalist was somebody who, you know, like really wanted to talk something on the, um, you know, big platforms like in media, etc. But today you can be an environmentalist in your own home. Mm. Um, there's so much more awareness everybody has embraced like you know sustainable living and uh, zero waste principles in their own life so people people now really value um, the environment much more than they did 10 years ago 
And just circling back to Antarctica, what what drew you to that expedition and, and what was it what was it like to go and see ice on such a scale for the first time or, or maybe even the first time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, indeed. The first time I actually saw snow, technically, will, uh, will have to be Argentina because I landed in Argentina um, ah. two days before the actual expedition and we did an acclimatization hike in um, Ushuaia, uh, which is like the southernmost uh, kind of uh, port in Argentina where the ship leaves. And so close to that, we went to a hike in the Marshall uh, Glacier. Um, and that was the first time I saw proper snow in my life because I came from like uh, south of India, which is like very tropical. Um, so yeah, it was, I think uh, what attracted me to the expedition more than anything else was that it was definitely a life-changing opportunity. Um, a lot of time, um, you know, people ask me, what did you, what did you really learn from going to Antarctica? And I say that, um, you know, what I learned from uh, going on that expedition um, is that we really need to understand that um, there is a place like Antarctica that exists and that it is the most peaceful uh, place on the planet right now um, because, because it's preserved by the Antarctic Treaty. So to be able to really experience uh, nature in its most magnificent form, and then be able to see that, you know, it needs to be preserved, but also there are solutions that can preserve it today. Uh, something that I wanted to touch upon, which I think you, you sort of slightly began to mention there was the idea of the Antarctica as a, a global commons that needs global citizenship and you mentioned this idea of of the global commons in in quite a few different articles that you've written you know i wonder if you can help us unpack this idea of the global commons you know what are they and why is considering them so important if the climate movement is is to be a success absolutely um so to explain global commons and i think the easiest example for that is uh, fishing, right? Um, and, and, and the very famous quote, like if you uh, feed a man a fish, um, you know, like uh, for a day and teach him how to fish, um, you know, he will feed himself and everyone, but then uh, he will end up overfishing because of the fact that he doesn't know anything else, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and I think the simplest way to explain to people, especially that what's happening to our planet today is the lack of ownership. Um, and, and the fact is that there are places like Antarctica, the Arctic, um, and a number, uh, number of other places in the world, uh, which are uh, classified as global commons. And the most important thing that we need to know about is that we all own it together. It is said that each one of us owns like a football sized field worth of land in Antarctica. Wow. And, and it, that belongs to us, right? And if you think about it, air, water, everything, uh, we have, we as humans have created these borders or, or put a price on them, but really, 
they are all something that are available to us as humans and to the other species as well at, at no charge the you know nature mother nature doesn't charge us for for giving all these amazing elements and ab abundant uh, you know uh, air water and everything else but uh, what what we have done is uh, consider them as something called finite resources so the antarctic treaty is is the uh, strongest environmental treaty in the history of humankind um, it was signed in the year 1959 and um, it was further extended in 91 so it is now available or or it's going to be in effect until the year 2048 um, but it comes up for review in sometime in the year 2041, which is why the foundation uh, by Robert Swan is, is named after that particular year. Oh. But it's just to show that if we could, you know, really respect nature and say that we could preserve something and, and nurture it in a way that is um, going to help our planet, then we thrive along with it. Um, Another example of a global common is the ozone layer. So even before you and I were probably born in the mid 19, early to mid 1980s, the ozone hole appeared. Um, and uh, that, that was a global common, right? Because it's something that forms like a protective layer around the earth and, and uh, keeps our earth um, like livable uh, by stopping the harmful UV rays to entering into our atmosphere. So that's a global common, but it is also said that because the Montreal Protocol, which came into effect somewhere, somewhere around 1989, that rectified the reason why the ozone hole was formed in the first place, um, because it, it took almost 30 years, but in the last few years, there have been reports that the ozone hole is fixing itself. So it's just a matter of saying that we have to protect our global commons and they will take care of us in return. So truly, I believe that um, global commons are a way for us to unite together um, as, as, a, uh, as a global force and be able to work together to preserve the environment. It's a great example to use because it just shows the power of what happens if we, as you say, unite together. And I think, a good example of um you know to be used as almost a beacon of hope because as you say yeah. you know we've got cop 26 coming up this is really one of our last opportunities to be able to have the impact that we've had on on the ozone layer in terms of you know giving it that time and space and the conditions necessary for it to close up you know we we could be doing that for the for the climate yeah, it's as simple as this. When you fall sick, you have to take a week off from everything to be able to, you know, feel better again and uh, feel rejuvenated for life. So that's what that's what our climate and our planet needs right now, really. It just needs a break from everything. Another good example is uh, the Arctic Sea Ice Moratorium that is being proposed by Global Choices. Um, tenure is uh, an important time frame because um, if we could do that for the Arctic sea ice, uh, it would really enable the ecosystem there to bounce back in so many ways. And, yes. and that's, that's something, especially like, you know, going back to that original idea of fishing, like if you, um, 
you know, don't let fishing overfishing happen, then, you know, the ecosystems will bounce back. Protecting those global commons is, is so apparent in your work. And obviously it's what led you to become an, become an Arctic angel. What has your experience of being an Arctic angel been like so far? And why are networks like the Arctic angels important for the, for the protection of our planet? Oh, uh, I think uh, what I've learned most by being a uh, uh, part of the Arctic Angels, especially um, in the last few months, has been to uh, learn from other Arctic Angels, really, um, to understand uh, what these other amazing uh, women have to say from around the world, um, to bring their uh, cultural and uh, personal experiences into how they want to protect the environment and, and be a nice activist. That's what I've learned more than anything else. Uh, but also uh, I've had the opportunity to talk especially about um, the um, process of uh, looking at uh, the polar regions as something to strongly protect together uh, because they're so similar. Mm -hmm. And uh, while I have been uh, working for uh, awareness of Antarctic preservation for a long time, uh, this gave me an opportunity to learn a little more about the Arctic ecosystem and how I can uh, especially raise awareness. Because I think, um, truth be said, the Arctic is really the battleground for climate change right now. Uh, the sea ice there is melting so much faster. New trade routes are opening up. Politically, it's a little more sensitive. Um, so there is no Arctic treaty like in the Antarctic, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think um, that's why the Arctic needs our uh, advocacy more than any other place in the world right now. So this is what I've learned, uh, being a part of the Arctic Angels. Um, and, and it's amazing to be able to work with uh, women from around the world and, uh, you know, combine forces and, you know, together generate voices, especially um, uh, looking at, uh, I think, uh, uh, other, uh, other aspects like, you know, social, racial and intergenerational um, issues. Absolutely. I resonate with so much of what you say, because, you know, if it weren't for the network, I wouldn't be able to sort of sit down and have this conversation with you and hear about your experiences and, um, you know, all of the angels that I've had the opportunity to speak to as part of this podcast. So, and I think that's yeah. what's exciting is to, you know, as you say, it's to hear their stories and from places and parts of the world, you might not be otherwise you know, able to connect to, but then having that solid common ground, which is that we all understand and, and uh, really mm -hmm. using our platforms and our voices to raise awareness of what's happening in the Arctic and, and really see if we can work together to shift that focus. So just to, just to echo exactly what you, <laughs> what you said. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> You've done so many incredible things, Divya. I read on your profile, you know, you've been engaged with over 50 different projects working on issues relating to the climate. What's been a highlight of, of your journey so far, other than the Antarctic chips? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, the highlight, I think, uh, really, it's working with uh, women and exploring ecofeminism. I think that's, that's my favorite aspect. Um, so far, um, I have I've had mostly <laughs> for some reason uh, 
many amazing uh, male figure mentors in my life. Um, I've had the opportunity to um, kind of share stage with the um, uh, Nobel laureate Al Gore, um, and I have mentioned before, but uh, Robert Swan will be, he was a UN Goodwill ambassador. And, and I've had the, uh, you know, like uh, opportunity to work with a number of um, other uh, amazing people around the world. Uh, but um, I felt like I, I, I really was struggling in the first five years of my career to find a good, um, good uh, female figure or like a female mentor. And I wondered why it was the case, um, but I, and I think that kind of intrigued me and made me want to explore uh, more about it. And that, and somehow I landed on learning about something called ecofeminism, which basically uh, means uh, like you know to uh, look at the environmental movement um, and use it. Uh, use it as use it in a way to be able to promote um, the concept of uh, how um, you know like uh, a woman nurtures um, her family or or even the environment right like they um, if you look at uh, just uh, how a woman nurtures her uh, own child or her family to be able to use those concepts in a way to how it can be extrapolated to uh, preserving the environment and another aspect of it is also looking at um, you know we call uh, call the planet mother nature and we look at it as in a female or feminine context and and think about it as something to be taken care of right yeah um, and so I think um, it was an amazing journey of learning about how me me being a woman um, can bring my strengths uh, from my own, fem uh, you know, like um, uh, feminineness or whatever you want to call it. I don't know if I'm using <laughs> the right terminology, but like um, from, from the fact that I am a woman, what can I bring to the table to the environmental movement? And how can I bring my skills and my, um, and my own personality to it? And uh, to be able to then share that with women from around the world. Um, through networks like the Arctic Angels. This has been uh, the, uh, the most enjoyable uh, feature of, of my work. Uh, but, but of course, I think uh, more than anything else, I love planting trees. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done a bunch of tree plantations, like uh, seed balling and things like that all around the world for various projects or, and also including like carbon offsetting that I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think, uh, just uh, planting trees is the other aspect of my work that I've enjoyed most because yeah, trees are amazing. They are, they absolutely are. And I love that quotation, you know, the best time to plant a tree was however many years ago, the second best time is, is now. And I think, you know, that, that analogy kind of works true for metaphorically, but also in reality, you know, and um, it's one of those lovely things where people who plant trees aren't planting them for themselves, they're planting them for the future. And it, it's a lovely way to consider yeah. and, and work to make the world better for the generations to come. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah, you just put it in the most perfect way possible. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh. uh, so just looking to the year ahead, because we mentioned COP26 earlier, you know, it's one of critical importance 
climatically speaking yeah. what what are you looking forward to in the year ahead and what are your hopes for cop 26 uh i think uh i think more than anything else um the pandemic has taught us that we need to respect nature and and that it is about time that we take better steps um towards uh, the looming cli- climate crisis ahead mm-hmm. um so i i my hope is that the leaders who come together for cop 26 um come with a sense of greater urgency than ever before mm-hmm. uh, because i think uh, the ipcc the intergovernmental panel on climate change had already said that um we need to have mechanisms in place by 2030 and reach specific targets by 2030, 2040, and 2050 to really avert the climate crisis. Otherwise, we we are doomed by the end of the century. So I think um, more than anything else, um, if you have not learned from the pandemic for the sense of urgency, um, then then we're really going to uh, miss, you know, like the point of no return for climate. So yeah, that's what I'm hoping that uh, you know the leaders uh, understand that it's time for climate lockdowns and they need to flatten the climate curve. <laughs> um, so uh, that's that's one aspect of it. But the second aspect of it is um, um, actually for uh, people, young people, to be given uh, a bigger seat at the table. Yeah, because. Uh, more than ever, I think uh, the younger populations are thriving all over the world. And um, so we live in a very young planet, really, in that sense, right? Because um, we have so many young people now uh, because of the growing population. And uh, if, if we leave them out, then we're basically deciding future of uh these people without really including them in the process and that's that's really unfair yeah so i think uh young people should be given a bigger seat at the table in cop 26 these are my two hopes that the sense of urgency um and the youth participation i think they're fantastic really really important and you know you've brought up youth which is perfect because it leads me on to my next question which is you know going to the Antarctic obviously set you on a path and you know it's wonderful to hear how much that passion has shaped your life what advice would you give to other young people who who are looking for their passions um I think uh what I did was really lead with my heart um I tried to um look at um what what can I do uh that that can make even the smallest difference and um i really didn't care about like um who's listening but rather like if i am able to do the right thing and a lot of young people these days get swayed away because of social media and you know it's it's more about how many likes we get or how much we how many views we received um, rather than the impact itself so i think uh, what i want to tell young people especially is to switch off the social media 
and it will immensely reduce that eco-anxiety in the process. And um, really to focus on seeing what, what they really can do and, and lead from their heart. Um, and if you lead from the heart and uh, be able to create the right impact that you want to create, then, then, you know, like, then you can put it on social media and be like, okay, I did my best <laughs> um, rather than expecting like uh, a million people to watch it. So Such I think that's my advice to young people, especially right now. <laughs> Such a lovely sentiment and so, so lovely to, to end on lead with your heart. Divya, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Chess, for having me. <laughs> a huge thanks to Divya for reminding us that we really have got it all to play for. And this is going to be a really vital year climatically. And we really have to use this opportunity to raise the global commons and the polar ice crisis to the top of the agenda. So a huge thanks to Divya for sharing all her knowledge and her wisdom that is the final episode in the series although there is one more to come and that is a bonus episode where we've amalgamated all of the key learnings for the angels over these past six episodes so i really hope that you enjoyed that one when it comes out next week as ever i'm at common ground co on instagram and you can follow the work of Arctic Angels at GC Arctic Angels. See you next time.